Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today's film is the 1960 French film, Eyes Without a Face. How's your French, Craig? <laughs> uh, non-existent. Oh. Non-existent is how my French is. I thought maybe so. These names are going to be fun. I know. I was just thinking that myself. I thought maybe you could pronounce like the original title or something. Les <laughs> no way. Or something like that. Yeah. No. I I took Spanish. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this this is a film I've been wanting to see for quite some time. It uh, it's a classic, and it's on many people's lists as a sort of top 100 horror films, and. I really didn't know anything about it going in, except for the iconic poster art, which is like a shadow of a woman's head, except for a big white blank spot where her face should be, and that's where the title of the movie's written in. So uh, it it does. It looks so 60s. The movie, however, is in black and white. The cinematography is very crisp, very stark, very film noir, actually, in many respects. And if you put this in context, this came out about the same time as Psycho did in the United States and Peeping Tom in the UK. So if you see Psycho, Peeping Tom, and France um, releasing its Eyes Without a Face, this is sort of a worldwide trilogy of of shocking horror films for the 1960s, I suppose you could say. Mm -hmm. But I think it came out actually in the 62 in the U.S. Yeah, really interesting movie. Well, what did you think, Craig? Have you know, did you know much about this movie going into it? Nope, I didn't know anything about it. And uh, you, this was this week was kind of a last minute decision, uh, and and you just kind of said, "Let's do this," because whatever. <laughs> and uh, I, I frankly, I wasn't really looking forward to it. You know, as much as I can, I appreciate films like Psycho and, and whatnot. And I do really like some of those movies. I'm not one to typically dip my toe into these much older films. It's just not usually what I seek out. Uh, and so I wasn't particularly looking forward to watching it, but I was really pleasantly surprised. And you already mentioned the cinematography. I was just super, super impressed with the cinematography in this movie. It looked like it could have been shot a lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time in the movie, it looked like it could have been shot today. I mean, it was, it was so clean and, and crisp and, and, and I, I don't know how else to describe it. It is black and white, but it looks like something that almost could have been shot digitally. It doesn't even almost look like film. It's so clean. I was just impressed with that from the get-go. Beyond that, I thought it was a, a really interesting story. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to be praising this as we go along. You know, I think this movie visually struck an interesting balance. At times, it almost didn't make sense. It, t- it was kind of surreal at moments. It reminded me a little bit, actually, of Crimson Peak, just in some of the visuals. We'll probably talk about it as we go on, but there are just uh, some of a lot of the action focuses around a mansion or a house here. And at times it looks modern, and at other times it looks very gothic, depending yeah. on what room you are in the house. It, it's 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 interesting, and I think that that's intentional. It's to kind of throw you off balance, but it also seems to harken back to a lot of the universal monster movies in a way. Now, I mean, this isn't like a universal monster movie. It's much more creepy and subtle than it is trying to be overtly scary. Um, but the plot is is, sure. is relatively simple. Well, it starts out with a woman speeding uh, headlong down the down the highway, and uh, she's nervous. It's dark, and truck comes up behind her and passes her. She sees the headlights there. And then as she adjusts her rearview mirror, and this is the first time we see a mirror in the movie, but it's not going to be the last, because mirrors are kind of thematic visual element through this movie. She adjusts her mirror, uh, rearview mirror, and you see in the back seat there's a... What looks like maybe somebody sleeping we later find out it's a body it's a body that she pulls over and dumps in the river and Mm -hmm. immediately we get another scene of a professor who's lecturing about hemo what was it called hematography oh gosh no heterographed heterographs yes which would be skin grafts basically well yeah live tissue transplants is what is what he says that's right. That's right. Uh, he's lecturing in this very classic, almost again looks like 
<laughs> looks like he's lecturing in the in the Louvre or in a, a castle or something for a very posh, uh, pompous crowd. And uh, right. And again, it, he's talking about the breakthroughs that he's had of this with animals and whatnot. And as he walks out, people are kind of looking on him with some pity. He, he doesn't actually seem like a very happy guy. And he doesn't throughout the whole movie. He's pretty stoic. In fact, it's really hard to get a grip on what's going on in his head throughout most of this movie, which is part of what makes it so interesting, I think. He will later find out that this guy is a bit of a mad scientist-type character. But again, he is not drawn like a crazy mad scientist, one-dimensional kind of archetype. He's a doctor. And he's clearly been doing this research... But then he's also, his research is, a lot of it's happening at his house, and it's a little more sinister that we soon discover. Right. And as, they, as he walks out, these uh, ladies say, yeah, he's, he just hasn't been the same since his daughter. Disappeared, right. So uh, that's, that's how it kicks off. It actually really kicks off with a lot of mystery. And it, it reminded me a little bit of Hitchcock here at This Way. Yes. This guy, uh, his missing daughter, you're starting to make some connections there, but you're still not quite sure what it is. Uh, it really takes right off, I think, and grips you right from the beginning with the plot. Yeah, yeah, and that opening scene that you were talking about with the woman driving down the street was really super reminiscent of one of the opening scenes of Psycho where Marion Crane is driving down the street and because she's just stolen all this money and she's paranoid and and it, it seemed uh, you know, very similar to that. And yeah. so I was thinking this was going to be really Hitchcockian and and in a lot of ways I would say that it is. You know, it doesn't have exactly his style. Hitchcock had a really uh specific style and and this doesn't necessarily match up with that exactly but there are definitely similarities and and yeah you know i had read i i read a lot about this movie before i actually watched it so i knew what was going on but if you hadn't read what was going on you would probably you know it's it's mysterious from that lecture he gets called to the morgue before he gets there we get these investigators talking about they found this body they think that it's probably this doctor's daughter because this woman that they found doesn't have a face you know we just get little details thrown in here and there um, but it appears that the doctor's daughter was in some sort of car accident um, and her face was burned and uh, these these detectives say all of that, the car wreck plus the fire, plus the fact now that the body has been immersed in water for a long time and rats have gotten at it and stuff, it's hard to identify. But they they believe that it's probably this girl because they know that this girl, uh, they say her face was an open wound. And so they think that it's her, so that's why they call him. But they also think that it might be this other missing girl because she kind of matches this other missing girl dis description. But the doctor gets there first and says, um, oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's her. That's my daughter. Um, and he even meets the father of the other missing girl outside, and, and they have uh, kind of a discussion. And the other guy, of course, is grieving. But the doctor says, well, um, at least you still have hope. I don't still have any hope. But then he goes home um, to his villa. <laughs> it's this huge, it's this huge, gorgeous, gorgeous mansion. Um, and he goes upstairs and we see that he converses with his daughter who is not dead um, but he has taken the opportunity to identify this other girl uh, as his dead daughter so that people will stop questioning you know where is this missing daughter or whatever and as it turns out what's going on is he and his assistant louise um his nurse or secretary or whatever she is uh they have been well, the girl that was found in the river, they had taken and tried to perform a face transplant for his daughter, but it had been unsuccessful. Uh, and, and that's really kind of the premise of the movie that, you know, that's that's what's going on. This this doctor wants desperately to give his disfigured daughter uh, a new face, but he has been unsuccessful, but they are continuing to try. In order to do that, they have to have donors. Um, and Louise really is kind of the hunter or scout uh, for these donors. And that's that's what kind of goes on for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And she must have had an accident or something of her own because it turns out that she is the first and only successful transplant that he's done. And so her, 
you know, she's kind of his sidekick in this way. She's the Igor to this Dr. Frankenstein or whatever you want to say. Right. Uh, because she's grateful to him for having successfully performed this. I wonder if maybe she's also his lover. It's hard to say because apparently his wife has also had also died. So it's really just yes, this, this right. doctor and Louise and this daughter. And when we go upstairs and we meet the daughter, she's you know face down in the bed. And this is another thing I think the movie does really well is you just want to see what this girl looks like. <laughs> right, right. And, and the camera keeps changing angles on you so that you can't. And you know when Louise comes in and chats with her, she brings in this mask and she puts this mask on the girl and – for most of the movie, what you see is this girl with this mask on her face. And the way the mask is, it, it fits very well. In fact, I bet, yes. if, I bet if you were to go through and, and actually see how it was done, I'm sure that they just caked a bunch of latex on top of this woman's actual face uh, until it all hardened and then just said, you know, don't move your mouth. Because it's like if the Phantom of the Opera had a whole mask instead of a half mask. <laughs> right. It, it, you know, it's, it's this pure white, very, I would say, attractive in its own right, but extremely creepy because it's, it's so pure and it's so white and it's so form-fitting. And that it really emphasizes her eyes, uh, that there's something underneath because her eyes are big and open, peeking out of that mask. It's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's a great mask, and it's actually really convincing. Like, you know, if if they weren't on this mission to do an actual face transplant, like if this woman was really disfigured, she could potentially wear this mask and be pretty passable, you know, in in public. You know, yeah. if if you actually if you actually got face to face with her and we're talking to her um you would clearly be able to see that it's a mask because the lips don't move very much uh when when she talks but if she just had to casually you know go through public she 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 might go largely unnoticed i mean it's it's a really good mask it's reminiscent of michael myers mask from halloween because uh john carpenter has said on record that he was inspired um by this mask for the halloween mask he for for michael myers mask he wanted it to just be kind of stark white and uh and you definitely can see um the connection there but i was just so impressed i was like i don't know who the special effects people were i don't know who the makeup people were but it looked great and it's haunting it's really spooky and you're right it totally emphasizes her eyes and this actress i didn't write her name down because all of these actors and actresses are french people who i've never heard of before and i know (laughs) nothing else about them but this actress has these great big eyes and the mask really emphasizes that and it looks great it's it's not it's really not scary at all i mean there's actually kind of something beautiful about it like you said when we first see her she's face down in the bed and you just want to see and you just want to see and she doesn't have the mask on at that point. But the dad says to her, you really need to get in the habit of wearing your mask all the time. And when Louise comes in, she puts the mask on her. And that's the first time you see her. And despite the fact that you know that underneath she's disfigured, there's still you know, beauty uh, to, to her appearance. And that, I think, was really the first moment in the movie where I was really intrigued and thought, wow, you know, this is, this is something interesting. Yeah, and it's a it's a beauty kind of like a porcelain doll. And she's very yes. doll like when she goes about. Yes, because as soon as the mask goes on her and we see her, then she starts what I would term creeping around the house. Yeah, <laughs> she does a lot. <laughs> she does a lot of haunting around the house. And and you said doll like, and I thought the same thing throughout the whole movie. She's dressed in these. You know, if you're into fashion and clothes, these gorgeous, gorgeous uh, costumes that really look like they were made for dolls uh, and and she looks like a doll. And I guess these were made by some fancy designer and and it kind of looks like that, but it really does emphasize the doll-like nature of, of this this girl. One of the things that she remarks to her secretary is that, you know, he's taken all of the mirrors out of the house yet and on everything that can can give any kind of reflection so that I can't see myself. But I can see myself occasionally when I'm looking out the window. I can catch glimpses of of my reflection. And I'm not absolutely certain what she was talking about there. Was she talking about the, the panes of the window itself? 
she was just talking about anything reflective. Like they've they've tried to protect her from her own reflection, but mm-hmm. she can still see it. And she says, she, you know, she can't bear to look at her face be, because she's it horrifies her. But the mask horrifies her even more. Yeah, which is interesting. You know, it, it, eventually, for just a brief moment, and really only in semi-focus we do see her face and and she is you know it's devastating the damage that's been done to her face i mean she's completely burned i mean the title of the movie is eyes without a face and that's what it looks like And, and we never see it in clear focus and we only see it very briefly but it is pretty repulsive but it's interesting that she says I hate seeing my own face. It, it it horrifies me, but the mask horrifies me even more. And I think that that's really the trajectory of her character. I mean, she she just can't stand to be what they are trying to make her be. And, and that comes into play later on. Yet she's oddly complicit in the whole thing. And that's another really intriguing yes. part of this, you know? Like, yes. And, 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 and the mask doesn't help either. Like the mask, it just looks... Again, it's, it has a beauty to it, but it also has this sort of detached, cold, unfeeling look to it. And in a, in a way, yes. that's the sense that you get about her character as she's walking along. She, she's either in a stupor or she just doesn't barely reacts to anything that, that's happening around. There, there's like a – I don't know, and I think it's just something you paint onto that mask, but like, a, like more of a curiosity than anything else as she – just wanders around this house that she presumably has known since birth, like touching the furniture, walking from room to room, almost like she's seeing it all for, again for the first time. Um, and she explores this house, and she goes down in to the depths of it. And again, it's mm-hmm. this is this is a mansion. It's big. It's it's beautiful. Um, you don't really get a sense of the whole thing, but there are some pretty iconic aspects to it that we pick up in, for example, when the doctor first comes in. Another thing that adds to some intrigue and some mystery is uh, he pulls in his car into the garage, and as he opens the doors to the garage, you hear these these dogs barking. It's like a whole bunch of yeah. dogs barking. He pulls the car in and then closes the garage door, and as he's walking through the uh, walking out the garage door, it, it really takes its time, this movie, with this guy walking around and this woman walking around. It really lingers in these places for a long time you know a lot of movies they cut out the scenes of people walking from place to place it's just like oh if you're if you're downtown and then you need to be uptown the guy walks out the door and the next shot is the guy walking in the door uptown you know um it doesn't show the person getting into the car driving down the road pulling out in front of the shop getting out of the car walking to the shop then finally walking through the door but this movie does that it does that a lot but it always does it in a way that makes you feel like there's maybe something significant here. Either it's communicating something about the character or about the setting or adding a little bit more mystery. And in this case, this whole trip that this doctor takes, coming home, parking his car in the garage, finally walking up to see this daughter, you're just going, what is going on here? Because you hear the dogs barking. And as he walks through, you, you think maybe the dog's barking is going to get louder. Like, maybe he's getting closer and closer to it, but as he Mm -hmm. shuts the door behind him, the sound gets more and more faint. So you're like, wow, there must be more to this house that I don't even know that I'm going to discover later. And so, again, just within the first 10, 15 minutes of this movie, it just seems like this is a world full of mystery. I think. Yeah, yeah, and oh, I do too. And and the house, you know, like I said before, we get exterior shots of the house and it's this huge gorgeous gorgeous estate. Um but you're right, like the the geography of it I think is significant because the daughter's name is Christiane. And um, to get to her, they have to go up multiple flights of stairs. It's kind of like she's the princess in the tower. Yeah. And then and, and then the horrors of the movie take place in the depths of the house. Like they have to go down into the basement, into the cellar, into these like he's got a secret operating room down in the cellar. Um, And so I feel like, you know, that that geography really works. It it makes it feel almost like a fairy tale where you've got the princess in the tower and then you've got the dungeon where all the scary things happen. Um, And it's, it's really effective, I think. Yeah, and, and and so her walking around the house is really just exploring this this whole this whole area, and she does, like you said, she goes into 
um, a room and there's a mirror painted black. Uh, she goes a little bit further down. Uh, you start to hear the dogs barking faintly again. There's another thing happening uh, in parallel with this. The the secretary, I think her name was yeah. Louise, right? Louise. Uh, mm-hmm. She's off uh, finding another woman, uh, another young girl. Right. And you can see that they're targeting girls with blue eyes. So that that's well, you can't see it because it's black. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't see you can't see it because it's black and white. But they make sure to uh, inform us at some point that they're that they are looking for a particular type of girl. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a, a girl who shares the same kind of beauty as Christiane. You know, they want somebody who uh, is is similar to her. Um, but yeah, Louise and and this woman, I have no idea. The history with the doctor and Louise is mysterious. She keeps saying things like I always will remember that I owe you because you gave me my face we don't know what happened and and we have you know he keeps saying that like he he wants desperately to succeed at this face transplant but he he doesn't know if he can so I didn't get the sense that necessarily he had given Louise a face transplant, but somehow he had given her some sort of reconstructive surgery and she feels obligated to him. But she, she's an older woman. And when I say older, I don't know, she's probably in her forties, but she's gorgeous too. Um, but, but she's going around hunting is what I kept putting in my notes, you know, like she's, she's stalking these girls, you know, she stalks this girl, Edna for a while. And, you know, she kind of finds out that Edna's new in Paris and, and she needs a room. And eventually she connives and, and tricks Edna into kind of a friendship. Uh, and then she eventually gets her back to the house. And I loved that scene. It was really suspenseful. Like, Obviously, this girl Edna has kind of come to trust this older woman who has befriended her. But eventually, Louise says, oh, I found you a room. Edna doesn't have a place to stay. So she said, oh, I found you a room. I'll take you there. And she drives her to this estate. And I love that scene because... Edna is clearly discomforted. You know, yeah. she, like she she's nervous. You know, it's yeah. like, why are you driving me out into the country? Like, this is totally weird. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that that was played really, really well, and it was good suspense. You know, again, there are these flashes of these other horror movies kind of going through my head as we're watching this, and this this was almost like a hostile type situation in a way. Uh, this girl, right, here right, in this country is is pulled in by this woman, and she's driving her out. And as you said, even when she's driving down the road this girl does not look comfortable even though she's not saying anything and she's like yeah we're, we're really far out here aren't we this is this is a little farther from the city and the woman says oh well i'm taking you the long way and then uh, as they pull up to a you know a train station and wait for the train to go by she says see here's the train it's going to take you into paris it's only 20 minutes isn't that great she takes her further in there and it's just these it's just it's just one thing after another that uh, she she takes her out of the car and this woman sees this this mansion again she seems kind of confused but uh she walks in up to it and it's completely dark until she steps onto the porch and suddenly all the lights come on and the girl kind of right. jumps back and when the door opens it opens and the doctor is just standing there just standing there in the yeah doorway. framed in the doorway <laughs> like he's waiting for it she walks in and then she closes the door and the woman's asking questions and as they're talking like louise is closing the curtains behind her it's just it, the doctor's offering her a drink, and she's saying, no, I don't want a drink, and she sits down, and he does pour her a drink, and then with the other hand, just slaps a rag of chloroform over her face. But it's so right. suspenseful, like, you just, well, you know this girl is doomed. I mean, there's there's not that right. much suspense there, but it is, it is so um, well executed, the way that this, this scene plays out. I just loved it, but again, it was it was scary. And so when he when he does chloroform her and drag her off, they drag her into his his dungeon area, um, into his operating room. Which we don't see that we haven't seen the operating room yet, but we will in a minute because Christiane comes walking down after they've kind of, I don't know, gone to sleep or gone out or something like that. And she starts probing <laughs> through the house. No, no, hold on. Hold on. This is the I, I <laughs> Sorry. I, I just wanted to interrupt you at this point because I thought that this part 
if there was any flaw in this movie that I would identify, it would be at this point because Christiane follows the doctor and Louise down into the basement and they take Edna in and deposit her and then they come immediately back out. And then Christiane goes into the lab or whatever and Edna is entirely prepped for surgery. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. In the the 15 seconds that they were in there, they had stripped her naked, (laughs) strapped her to a bed, thrown a sheet over her. She like, she was totally ready to go. Oh, that's right. Um, And the the doctor came out and said, uh, I think I'm going to have some dinner first and then we'll go in and take (laughs) and do the surgery. Right. Well, yeah, and, and he also says, which I found really spooky, he says, this time I'm going to have to take off a, a bigger piece and I'm going to have to do it all in one piece, not in sections. Just those words uh, are creepy. But you had mentioned earlier that uh, Christiane is is oddly complicit in this, and I thought that was weird too. Like when she followed them down there and, and she sees this girl, I mean she sees them carrying – Edna into the operating room and then she goes in when they're not there and she sees Edna in there and I I initially thought oh she's going to secretly try to help Edna escape but no she doesn't at all she is complicit in it and I think that that makes her character intriguing and strange you know I don't know how to feel about this girl I want to like this girl um, but at the same time She's selfish. That's what it comes down to. She's selfish. At the very least, you want to feel sorry for her, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And and, and it's almost like the, the she doesn't not only not help this woman, but, well, she goes in and she sees the woman on the table, and then she wanders a little further, and we see the dogs barking. Yeah, because the dog kennel is connected. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. The dog can the dog kennel is directly adjacent to this the operating room. Right. Uh, and it's this huge dog kennel. But it's so it's and, such a weird dog kennel. I mean, it's got these odd cages in there. It looks like yeah. something out of a medieval torture chamber, you know? Right, right. Oh. And, well, and of course, you know, here I'm a huge dog lover and and <laughs> Christiane goes in there. She goes in there, and I didn't know what to expect, but she she loves on all the dogs. It's actually yeah. really cute. You know, it's, it's these huge, huge dogs that are obviously guard dogs or whatever, but Christiane clearly, you know, has a friendly relationship with them, and, and they, you know, she pets them, and they love on her and stuff. Yeah. Um, all the while, all the, and that's nice, and I feel like that says something about her character, but as a dog lover, dogs don't like masks. Like, <laughs> masks freak dogs out. So these must have been really well-trained dogs or they must have spent time acclimating them to this girl in a mask because dogs do not like that. You know, they, they like to see people and see expression and, and masks and stuff usually freak them out, but it's actually, it's kind of a sweet scene and it does endear you, the viewer to her. Um, I, I feel like they're trying to show that she's a gentle person, that she is a good person, a decent person. And, and, that pays off uh, well, in the end. It it does uh, to, uh, until the the moment she's done with the dogs, she goes back in the room and starts staring at this woman, and she takes off her fit her mask and stands mm-hmm. over the woman until she wakes up, and so that she can look at her face and scream. So it, yeah, it, in the one in the one respect, you're like, oh, this must be a gentle person, but then you're wondering if she's going to set this woman free, and instead she kind of terrorizes her a little bit. You know, I didn't get that that was intentional. I I don't know. Maybe it was. um, I but I didn't think she was trying to scare the girl. I'm not sure why she took her mask off, um, but I didn't get that it was. Oh, I'm going to scare this this poor girl. I thought that, you know, she was just kind of looking over her and the girl happened to wake up and she was horrified. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Mm. she did want to show the girl what she really looked like. and, And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's it's really hard to say because, like you said, we, we only get little glimpses into her personality, and it, there's a lot unknown of unknown right there. But then the next bit we get is uh, something that was a little more gruesome than I think either of us were expecting in a movie of this age. Yes. Uh, 
and that was we pretty much get to see the entire facial operation on this girl. Yeah. From the drawing of the pencil around the face to marking the spots to cutting with the scalpel and it's bleeding as he's cutting all the way around to the laborious like lifting the skin up all around and they're clamping it. He even gets interrupted I think by a phone call and has to run 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 out for a minute and come back in where they just leave the clamps hanging. You get to see the whole thing happen and then finally they lift the face off of this uh, off of this woman and you get to see the blood stuff underneath her for a split second before they cut away. That was again it just this movie really really draws out these scenes way more than you would expect yes Um, oh my gosh that scene went that scene went on for much longer than i expected it to and it was gruesome and it was really really well done mm -hmm. like when the doctor was cutting into this woman's flesh it looked pretty real for the most part now when he actually when he started to to actually peel it off, you could tell that it was some sort of prosthetic, but yeah. it looked really good. Like, I, I mean, if if you weren't looking at it with a critical eye, I mean, if you were willing to suspend your disbelief, um, it looked really, really, really good. And it was gross, and it went on for a long time. And I guess, you know, when this movie came out, it passed the censorship boards or I don't know, whatever it is, the rating system uh, in France. Um, But it also got a lot of criticism specifically because of this scene, because it was so gruesome. And when it was originally released in the United States, they cut it all up. They gave it a different title. They called it uh, the horror chamber of Dr. Faustus. um, (laughs) And, and they greatly reduced that scene and they took out a bunch of other stuff. They took out any scenes that made the doctor seem at all uh, sympathetic. Again, if we're talking about the the quality um, of this film, you know, I think this this scene, you know, deserves applause. I mean, good gracious, you know, like <laughs> just just the, the the length of it, and 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 just it felt very uncomfortable because it went on for so long, and it, and it wasn't, you know, it's not like it was cutting to close shots and then long shots, you know, it was just we were in frame watching this guy cut this girl's face off. Um, and it was it was really unsettling. I I was impressed. Yeah, especially very, for 1960. For sure, right? It's very clinical too. Again, everything's so clean in this movie. Even when you're seeing blood, it's it's happening here in this really clean sequence, J- just as clean as the mask that the other woman wears. It's all very creepy, and they do. He does the transplant. It supposedly, you know, at least it takes. And the woman uh, ends up in bandages, so you can only see her eyes. And right. uh, Edna comes in. Uh, I'm sorry, the nurse uh, slash secretary, Louise. whatever, comes yeah. in and um, brings her some food. And Edna's ready because she's pretending to be asleep, but she ends up knocking her over the head with the bottle and runs out. And of course, I'm thinking, yeah, of course she goes up the stairs. <laughs> And not out right, the door. Right, right. She tried to go out, out the, the front door, door and she right. couldn't, yeah. Anyway, she runs upstairs, and they chase after her, but they hear a scream. And by the time they get up to the top, she has jumped out of the window and committed suicide. And I guess that was suicide, unless she tried to climb out. But I got the impression was that she couldn't bear to live with herself anymore and, and through i you know who knows that's really up to interpretation i suppose right see and i kind of interpreted it different i i thought that it was an escape attempt but oh. she had just died from the fall but this is this is where things for me and i understand that they somehow had to wrap this up but this is where for me things kind of started to feel a little bit convoluted oh, yeah. um because we we see edna's friend uh, reports uh, her disappearance to the police, and apparently Edna had told her that she had befriended this older woman. And and um, Edna's friend says, "Oh, and she said that this woman always wore this pearl choker." And, and of course, Louise does always wear this pearl choker because it's what covers the scar from her surgery. It, it's it's almost disappeared, but it's still there. And then it becomes. As does Psycho. To be fair, it yeah. becomes kind of a dete- it, it becomes kind of a detective drama, um, and uh, we we failed to mention before that Christiane had a fiance who um, she from time to time calls, but she doesn't say anything. And I, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because it appears that the face transplant has worked, and we see this dinner scene where we see Christiane with 
a very beautiful porcelain, flawless face. And her dad, the doctor, says to her, you know, you can have a whole new life. You can have a new name and a new identity. And he says, won't that be fun? (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was so funny. That's right. Like, (laughs) you've been through all this horrible stuff and but i've given you a new face and now you can have a new identity won't yeah. that be fun <laughs> <laughs> and she's like well what about um, Jacques? you know what about Jacques, by a fiance and he's like yeah right. that will be a bit of an issue <laughs> but i guess we'll find a way to tell him or something like that i don't know that he, he was just willing to kind of let that one go but she's not like you said she keeps calling him and hanging up and uh, that's a little bit mysterious because at first we're not we don't know who she's calling uh, again, another layer of intrigue in the movie. You're right. It, it, at this point, it does get a little a little convoluted because the boyfriend uh, slash fiance Jacques happens to be in the police station. No, was he in the police station before, or did he happen to be there and overhear the pearl necklace thing? Well, what? Okay, before we get to that, um, it, there's this dinner where it appears that her face is okay, but at the end of the dinner, the doctor gets up and kisses her on the forehead, and then looks at her, uh, and you can tell that he's concerned. Right. Um, and he goes outside, and the secretary is like why are you worried? And he's like, I'm not. And she's like, I've known you a long time. I can tell in your face that something's wrong. And uh, he says, I've failed. And then what again is another one of my favorite sequences of the movie. We just get these uh, photographs, Mm -hmm. a series of photographs of her face deteriorating of her face rejecting the transplant. Uh, And, and it's gradual and we only see like four or five photographs but uh, it's pretty gruesome. We see that uh, her body has rejected uh, the transplant. But once her body has rejected the transplant, she calls Jacques again. And this time, instead of not saying anything, she says his name. And again, this seems kind of convoluted to me, but that's enough for him to go to the police yeah. um, to, to say, I know it was her. I recognize her voice. And of course the detectives are like, okay, whatever she's dead. So it was probably just a prank call. Um, but then that kind of, meanwhile, in <laughs> the detective agency, uh, the other detective is interrogating this other girl. And after Jacques leaves, um, the other detective comes over and says, Oh, I heard you talking about beautiful blue-eyed girls what should i do with this one uh she's a shoplifter and the main detective detective perot which i thought was hilarious because that's yeah. kind of a poe reference but anyway he's like we'll just let her go i knew something was going to go on eventually they bring and it's so f- like these cops are so just imbeciles like they're just so (laughs) stupid they bring her back in to kind of be a patsy in this big setup they they come to suspect the doctor because somehow one of the detectives mentions that edna's friend had said the pearl necklace and so the Jacques is like oh that makes me that reminds me of someone Mm -hmm. and so they're suspicious of the doctor and louise and so they use this other girl paulette the shoplifter kind of as bait and kind of as a patsy in in this whole big setup scheme yeah um but it's so it's so flawed and stupid and like i just felt for paulette i'm like yeah. here like they're they're like they're throwing her into this situation and they just don't give a shit about her no, they, don't, at all. they don't they don't observe her they don't keep track of her or anything because as soon no. as she gets let out of the hospital she calls her mom and says okay mom i'm going home and uh the nurse says all right the bus station's down the street she walks out and uh, who pulls up but in this car is uh, louise louise to pick her up like she's picked up all the other girls and she takes off with her. And you're right. like, well, well, that's the end of her. And, and sure well, enough. Well, uh, but, <laughs> right. And then it cuts right to the doctor drawing the pencil marks on Paulette's face. What the detectives had done is that they had dyed her hair and sent her in there as a patient. I don't even know what their Why did plan was. I, don't, I didn't get that part either. Like it was, it was all about blue eyes, wasn't it? I... Yes, and all of the other girls were brunettes, so I don't know what the problem was, but they sent her in like as bait, but then she gets released, 
And um, like you said, Louise picks her up, and the two detectives pay him a visit while he's while he's penciling in Louise's face. Um, well, uh, yeah, sorry. but even before that, even before that, I feel like Jacques calls them or somebody calls them and says nothing happened. They released her, and the detectives are like, "Oh, okay. Well, we'll check on her tomorrow morning to make sure she got home safe." Right. Seriously? That's like- right. yeah. <laughs> Why weren't you guys out there waiting for her to leave the place? At least watching her, something like this. Like, were you hoping? We'll check to- on her tomorrow. She'll be fine. Uh, maybe they were. <laughs> Maybe they weren't going to be convinced uh, until the doctor had actually created a dead body, and then they could they could prosecute. You know, maybe they didn't actually want to help her out. I guess I just I just felt like the the cops were so incompetent. And then, like like you said, you know, the doctor is penciling her face for the surgery, and Louise comes in and is like, "There's two guys waiting." Uh, asking about you at the clinic and um, he's like I can't be bothered and she's like no it's serious so he walks over there so apparently the clinic is on his property yeah that was and, a surprise uh, <laughs> and, yeah <laughs> and they're like oh uh we're looking for this girl she's helping us on a case or something and he's like no she's been released and they're like okay bye <laughs> <laughs> And they go outside and they go outside and Jacques like, sorry, I led you on this wild goose chase. And they're like, oh, well, at least now we know it's not anything like they didn't do any. of They were completely worthless, just completely worthless. This girl is missing. She never came home. Isn't that the whole point of your your, (laughs) setting her up as bait was for somebody to take her? And now they're just willing to walk away from it all. It it didn't make any sense. Oh well, uh, <laughs> but that's what leads up to the climax, and it, and it's it, it's a good climax, I thought. Um, the uh, Paulette wakes up on the operating table, and the only one who is there is Christiane. Of course, Paulette is screaming and crying and freaking out, and Paulette walks, o- or excuse me, Christiane walks over to her, and she picks up the scalpel, which of course scares Paulette, but she starts to cut away Paulette's restraints, and then Louise walks in. And uh, Christiane walks over to her and she's holding the scalpel and Louise says, put it down. And um, instead, Christiane stabs her in the neck, presumably about the same place where her scar would have been. Um, And Louise says, of course, why? (laughs) Um, But, you know, as melodramatic as that is, the acting was actually pretty good. Like, I felt like Louise felt like she had been trying to help this girl, almost like she was like a mother figure to this girl. All she had been doing was trying to help, despite the fact that what they were doing was terrible. But you actually feel a little bit of sympathy, uh, or I did, felt a little bit of sympathy for Louise in that moment. And then Christiane releases Paulette, and Paulette goes off running off, and we never see her again. Christiane goes into the adjacent dog kennel and releases all the dogs, and the dogs all go out and sadly, kind of unconvincingly, maul and kill the doctor. Mm. I understand that it was 1960, and I understand that there's only so much you can do with animals. You know, you don't actually want animals really mauling people to death, but like <laughs> whoever they, whoever, whatever stuntman they had playing the doctor, like he was clearly padded like crazy. Yes. Like, <laughs> so much padding. Uh, and these dogs were clearly not <laughs> like, yeah, they were playing with They're him. running up to him. They're yeah, they're wagging their tails. <laughs> <laughs> but we're led to believe that they maul and kill the doctor. And then Christiane releases all these white doves that we've never <laughs> seen before um, from the kennel. And I, I feel like that's supposed to be symbolic. And then she walks out holding one of the white doves in her hands with her mask on and this beautiful, some sort of white gown. And she walks past her mauled father through the woods, holding this white dove. And then on the screen, we get fiend, you know, the end. And, you know, I, I I liked the ending. I saw it coming a mile away. Once she released the doves, I'm like, Oh, she's free. (laughs) She's free. Um, But, Yeah, <laughs> but it was it, one. I, I think one of the things that I was most excited to talk to you 
and not even talk to you about, but just point out is when she first emerges holding the one white dove. Did you notice that there was bird shit all over her arm? <laughs> Oh, I thought that was so funny. (laughs) Oh, dude, that's hilarious. (laughs) Honestly, I was I was paying attention to the dove because you know what's going through my mind in this scene is as as a um, as a guy who's done magic and has done stage shows. I've worked with doves before, and so I know how you're supposed to handle them. And the whole time I'm watching her release these doves and, and everything, I'm thinking, "Oh my god, that's not what you're supposed to do." She's as she was walking out with that one dove on her hand, she was clearly clipping its its toes between her fingers to keep it from from flying off and you totally do not do that with with doves or pigeons or anything because they will try to fly off and they can leave their toes or their you know behind that's how fragile the bones are in there in their toes. So I was paying, I was watching that the whole time, to be honest. I was like, oh, she's a terrible dove handler. <laughs> I guess it was a, a bit of a John Woo moment there. And you know, we did see doves earlier, actually. There was, um, and it's a blink if you miss it bit, but when they're showing the portraits in the castle, or I'm sorry, the house. <laughs> Might as well be a castle. When they're showing the portraits on the wall, um, there's a portrait of her, and she is holding a, a dove in that portrait. That's well. right. I forgot that. Yeah. That kind of now that you say back. that, I totally remember. But it's just a real surreal kind of nonsensical ending to it all. It all kind of happens very fast, and it's the, I'm free. And it, it doesn't really seem like the movie's terribly concerned about what happens to her or that it makes sense or anything. It's just more interested in the general feel that it's getting across, which is honestly very typical of French films. You know, and I say this a lot, too, about Asian films, too. Like, they're not always concerned about making sense uh, as far as a plot goes. They're way more concerned about just getting a, a look and a feel to it. Oh, like the Italian giallos, you know, of the 70s and 60s as well kind of did that. I felt like this movie was, was definitely had a plot to it, but the ending is not anything anyone's going to say is, is wonderful, uh, except for the fact that it does sort of, it has its, its, its own kind of closure uh, in a, an emotional sense, I suppose. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, and I am not versed in foreign films like you are, so I, I don't know how it compares to other French films. But I actually kind of liked it because the whole movie is—it's it, not nonsensical. Like it's—it's it's not completely out of the realm of reality. It's like but surreal. It, it fe- it's surreal, and it feels kind of like a fairy tale. And the ending, you know. And then the princess went free. Like mm-hmm. that—that's yeah. fine. You know, like I was okay with it, and it was—it it was really, aside from the bird shit, you know, kind of a, <laughs> a beautiful, kind of a beautiful image of her just, you know, walking into the forest. Like, and she had said several times before this, like she had begged Louise to kill her. She that's just right. wanted to die. She didn't want to go through this anymore. She was done. And so just kind of her walking into the woods, I don't know, you know, who knows in the realm of reality what happened to her, but I don't care. It's, it's kind of like she's just escaped this nightmare. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I was satisfied. I thought it was a satisfying ending. It's like in trying to help her, her father was really holding her captive, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's pretty classic. I know what's best for you, my daughter, and this is how right. it's going to be. And uh, she's finally comes out her, on her own against it. You know, it's also interesting that she wasn't rescued by anybody. You know, she just basically does all this on her own. So it's it's also very empowering. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> what what in, in reading about this, in in watching it, 
it reminded me of several things. And uh, I think really, as it turned out, the things that it reminded me of um, really drew inspiration from this. I, I, I think that this inspired a lot of filmmakers. There have been um, multiple films with very similar plots uh, that I, I think some of the filmmakers have even specifically said they were inspired by it. Uh, you know, even you know as directly as a father trying to give the daughter, you know, youth and rejuvenation or, or even specifically a new face. I mean, there have been other movies that have been um, made. The one that it kept reminding me of was a movie that I haven't even seen, but I remember seeing uh, the previews for it. 2011's The Skin I Live In with Antonio uh, Banderas. Um, and, and in looking and yeah, yeah. And in looking, uh, you know, at, I don't even know the interwebs, you know, just reading <laughs> stuff. That was one of the ones that was mentioned as one that was in, inspired by this movie. You know, like I said earlier, I think when it was first released in the United States, it was released under a different title. It was dubbed. So I imagine that the dialogue was largely changed and they cut out tons and tons. I know that in 2003, it was released theatrically again in the United States, uncut and uncensored. And initially when it came out in France, it got really, really mixed reviews, mostly negative reviews. In fact, there was one female critic who praised it and she almost lost her job for praising it because mm -hmm. it had been so panned by all the other critics. But now People, like you said at the very beginning, people are saying that this is like a horror classic. You know, it shows up on movies like, you know, the top 100 movies you need to see before you die or whatever. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if it deserves that kind of acclaim, but uh, it's a good movie. I was really pleasantly surprised when when you sent me the title. The, the very first thing that I thought of was Billy Idol's yeah. song, Eyes Without a Face. Um, and apparently he was inspired uh, by this movie to to write that song. He kind of took the narrative and changed it around. And so it was more about a couple of lovers instead of a father and daughter. These older films are really not what I am drawn to. It's not what I watch in my leisure time for fun. But I, I found myself being appreciative to you because I would have never picked it. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised by how good it was. Yeah, I, I agree. I was also pleasantly surprised, and I was really glad to force you to watch it because uh, <laughs> I, know, I know you're not drawn to these things, and uh, I, I am kind of drawn to these things, and so I'm, I'm glad we got the chance to watch it. But more than anything, I'm glad that you're not mad at me for making you watch it. <laughs> oh, good. Craig likes it. <laughs> we can go on another week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do, folks, often get mad at Todd for his <laughs> selections. <laughs> um, but this week I texted him after I'd watched it and said, dude, I didn't want to watch this at all, but uh, it was it was good, and I look forward to talking about it. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also find us on Facebook, where you can uh, like our page, pass it along to a friend, converse about this movie or any other movie you'd like us to do in the future. Until that future time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Awesome.